This is MSCI Perspectives, bringing to light insights and analysis that help global investors tackle today's challenges. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is February 1st, 2024. For global investors, the idea of individual country or market allocations, well, that's not new. But in today's world, with a dynamic geopolitical map, the rewiring of supply chains, and a greater focus on sustainable investing, it may be time for a new approach. Our two guests today, fortunately, are co-authors of a paper that does just that, proposing a new framework for investing across different countries and markets. And they are... Hi everyone, my name is Rohit Gupta and I'm part of MSCI Derivatives and Exchanges Solutions Research Team. And... Hi, this is Manish Shakdwipi. I'm part of ESGN Climate Solutions Research Team. I had the pleasure of speaking with Rohit and Manish earlier this week. Here's that conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, Rohit, Manish, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your new paper titled Reimagining Country Investing. Looking forward to the conversation. As I said, the the new paper is called Reimagining Country Investing. Just let's get that out there a few times for folks. My first question uh, for either of you is, why does this approach require reimagining in the first place? Sure. Thanks, Adam. The current landscape is distinguished by a dynamic geopolitical map, and there has been a rewiring of economic supply chains. Now, this is giving rise to new opportunities for growth investments. Investors are also increasingly seeking to integrate sustainable investment objectives in the portfolio. Now, there are multiple dimensions of portfolio construction, and growing number of investors are using these comprehensive approaches to strategic asset allocation. There are various approaches, like decision-making criteria ranging from macroeconomic indicators, such as economic growth, inflation, and currency strength, bottom-up analysis like valuations, and top-down analysis such as diversification across countries, sectors, themes, and geographic revenues. In this paper, we review various markets, macroeconomic risk, their burgeoning growth opportunities, and consider the role of sustainable investments in a globally diversified portfolio. So in a sense, this research paper proposes a framework that incorporates growth opportunities, risk management, and sustainable investment objectives in country and regional market allocations. And when investors are looking to build this globally diversified portfolio, what is the unique contribution that they get from country-level diversification? So substantial body of research, which has been spanning few decades, supports the importance of country and regional diversification in a global equity portfolio. Now, what does this global diversification mean? The purpose is to achieve a balanced risk-return profile with investors' long-term financial goal. And the core principle underlying global diversification is that economic cycles, geopolitics, and market-specific events affect country and regional markets in different ways and at different times. A broad region's exposure to various factor groups such as style, 
individual market and industry, they vary strongly over the course of time. Now, we quantified the changes that occurred in the developed and emerging economies using cross-sectional volatility or what we call as CSV of returns, which is a MSCI measure of return dispersion that indicates how much of the variation in individual stock returns is driven by a particular factor group. Again, the factor groups being style, individual markets and industry. Our research shows that in developed markets, style factors and industries have made higher contribution to CSV over the past decade, whereas in emerging markets, individual markets have dominated the CSV. And Manish, I'd like to turn to you to help fill in some of the questions from the ESG side. Did you see that same relationship between developed and emerging markets that Rohit is talking about? So, uh, yeah, definitely, Adam. So when it comes to uh, return contributions due to ESG factors, we have observed dispersion among different markets. Specifically, when we compare the performance of ESG factor in high ESG rated companies versus low ESG rated companies within a given market. And we observed positive return contribution due to ESG factor over the last decade for most markets, though return varied a lot across them. And secondly, we also observed that periods of ESG factor outperformance uh, varied for different markets, meaning that different markets may have different time periods of ESG factor outperformance. And finally, when we talk about the impact of E, S or G factors individually, we observed that their relative significance could differ significantly among markets. For example, while in some markets all three E, S and G factors are important and contributed to returns, in some other markets, only one factor dominated and drove most of the factor performance. So this highlights the importance of understanding similarities and differences among markets to inform the investment process. One of the things that we've talked with many guests about on this program before is how important reporting or self-reporting more to the point is to gathering this information around ESG sustainability. Did you see a difference in that reporting across countries or even between developed and emerging markets, let's say? Yeah, definitely. So in terms of uh, reporting on ESG and sustainability data, developed markets are in general ahead of emerging markets. Uh, but though like in recent years, we have observed growth in data disclosures in emerging markets as well. So take carbon emission as an example. As of 31st March, 2023, in the MSCI World Index, which represent developed market companies, roughly four out of five companies in the index reported their scope one plus two carbon emissions, compared to only approximately half of companies in the MSCI Emerging Market Index. However, when we look at a four years prior to the, this time period, which means like as of June 2019, this disclosure rate was lower for both developed and emerging markets. And at the time, only a quarter of emerging market companies and roughly three out of five developed market companies were reporting their carbon emissions. So we have certainly seen good progress in the disclosure of ESG and sustainability data in both developed and emerging markets. Rohit, let's go back to you and get a little more specific. Can you explain how a country's or even an individual market's geographic revenue sources, how do those influence the construction of a globally diversified portfolio? Sure. So uh, in our paper, we, we used MSCI economic exposure data set to evaluate 
geographic revenue exposures for all the constituent markets within MSCI Acqui Index. What geographic revenue exposure shows us is that stocks listed in a particular country or regional market may be impacted by developments in other countries and markets as well in which they earn revenues. Let's take an example. The US, which is present in the North American region, has more than 20% revenue exposure to emerging markets, while nearly 40% of Taiwan's revenues are linked to the North American region. Now, Taiwan forms part of MSCI Emerging Markets. Therefore, analysis of a market's geographic distribution of revenues and its related growth prospects can aid an investor in strategically constructing and managing a global portfolio. Let's keep going uh, along the lines of those growth opportunities. What are some of the opportunities that investors look at when they're examining these individual markets? So some investors may seek to invest in individual markets which have robust economic growth prospects. Some of the major reasons being markets which are experiencing rapid economic expansion. They often provide fertile ground in which companies can flourish, leading to potentially higher equity returns. Now, historically, emerging markets have had higher economic growth than developed economies. Although the emerging markets growth premium over developed economies has recently moderated, the IMF expects it to continue over the coming years, and it is mainly supported by broad adoption of policies across the emerging economies that seek to promote fiscal discipline and price stability. Now, some studies, however, have also shown that GDP and equity return relationship is tennis over long-term horizons. So GDP growth need not be the only factor that global investors consider in making individual market allocations. Investors may also position themselves to benefit from market momentum, technological advancements, and shifting consumer behaviors to leverage the strength of both emerging and developed economies, aiming not only to enhance portfolios' performance, but to be on the cutting edge of global investing opportunities. You're excellent at setting me up with these um, segues, Rohit, because the next thing that I wanted to talk about was something you mentioned up top, which is taking into consideration these large secular global themes that are emerging around the world. Shorthand, thematic investing. How does that factor in here? I think investors can gain exposure to structural changes in business and economies through thematic investing. For that, in MSCI, we have identified four megatrend categories, environment and resources, transformative technologies, health and healthcare, and society and lifestyle. This framework can be viewed as complementary to a more traditional sector and industrial schemes, such as the GICS framework. So you said... GICS. Can you define that for our audience? Sure. So GICS is a global industry classification standard which aims to provide transparency and efficiency in the investment process. Uh, the GICS is designed with four levels of classification that includes 11 sectors, 25 industry groups, 74 industries, and 163 sub-industries. Thanks for that. 
So let's get back to it. You were talking about the role of thematic investing in your analysis. We looked at regional distribution of companies in 28 MSCI thematic indexes, and we found that many of these themes are strongly represented by U.S. and Chinese firms. Although some themes, such as sustainable water transition and natural resources stewardship, break this pattern. When we did a deeper dive, it revealed that investment opportunities are much broader than just these two equity markets. The data reveals that beyond the dominance of the US and China, some other markets including Israel, Korea, Switzerland and Taiwan are considered broad innovators displaying diverse exposure to multiple themes. So far we've talked about the opportunities that come from country investing within a global portfolio, but can you talk about some of the major risks? So we have already discussed the role of GDP growth in shaping country and regional market allocations as one of the central factors in identifying investment growth opportunities. Additionally, other macroeconomic indicators can add value in assessing investment risk as well. We have used IMF's data over here, and we compared developed and emerging economies on macroeconomic risk indicators. And in our research paper, we highlighted some structural differences in inflation, fiscal discipline, and trade balances. Given inflation is at the top of everyone's mind these days, let's talk about inflation first. IMF data shows that over the last 25 years, inflation has remained structurally higher for emerging economies than for developed economies. IMF has forecasted this trend to continue for the next five years, although at a lower level. Now, from a fiscal discipline perspective, starting with the lowest gap around 2002, outstanding debt of developed economies grew at a much faster pace than that for emerging economies. IMF's five-year forecast estimates that debt as a percentage of GDP would remain high and it would be more than 100% in developed economies. While in contrast to developing economies, the emerging markets' fiscal paths resulted in declining debt levels during most of the first decade of this century. Although the emerging markets were not immune to economic shocks of the global financial crisis and COVID-19, where they also found their debt levels to rise, IMF expects emerging markets to maintain significantly lower debt levels than developed markets over the next five years. Also, over the last decade, trade gap between emerging and developed economies has narrowed which is largely a result of increasing focus on higher domestic consumption in the emerging economies and gets coupled with the strengthening of the deglobalization trend. IMF forecast for the next five years indicates that the narrowing will continue. Current account imbalances have historically had a destabilizing effect on the global economy making capital markets more susceptible to external economic shocks, especially for countries that had accumulated external debt in foreign currency 
and are vulnerable to shocks to their currency's value and withdrawals of foreign capital. Manish, picking up on that idea of the deglobalization trend, another theme that we can't stop talking about within the investment industry and, and, and even outside is the low carbon transition. Where do these two things intersect? And are we starting to see winners and losers? Yeah, definitely, Adam. So deglobalization trend that you uh, highlighted uh, uh, are like uh, mainly driven by the United States and European Union. As they in recent years have sought to diversify their uh, trade partners and bringing their supply chains closer to home. And government policies in these geographies are also formalizing this course. And given uh, clean tech and low carbon transition are major focus areas of these policy initiatives, we may see their impact on many aspects of investing. So for example, these efforts may lead to some countries becoming leaders in the clean technology space in coming years. And these top clean tech producers may not be today's top fossil fuel producers. So in the scenario of low carbon transition, companies globally will realign their supply chains uh, and we may witness some markets gaining, whereas some markets are becoming laggards. And what about sustainable finance? Where does that play a role? Yeah, over the last decade, the recognition by asset owners of the importance of sustainable finance has grown significantly. Stakeholders, including investors, are raising their ex expectations around the sustainability of a company's operation and business model. And that is leading to greater scrutiny of its practices and supply chain. And this heightened uh, scrutiny may force companies to review their trade and investment relationships with other companies in their supply chain uh, that may have weak sustainability practices. And in addition, like regulatory initiatives that we are seeing, such as the uh, carbon border tax proposed by some geographies, may also reshape the global supply chains. On the other hand, sustainable finance will create uh, opportunities as well. We have already discussed the topic of low carbon transition and clean tech. Uh, the progress to a low-carbon world will create opportunities for companies and markets which have greater or developing exposure to low-carbon solutions. And when you looked into that, have you seen that that's actually starting to happen already? Yeah, definitely, Adam. So as I mentioned before, we observed positive return contribution uh, due to ESG factor over the last decade for most markets, though like a return varied a lot across them. Now, when you looked at your results, Rohit, you mentioned this earlier, you looked at the last 20 plus years and then also a shorter period of the last five and talked about how there were differences that you saw. Can you talk us through some more of those changes that you saw? Sure. So we visualize the degree of diversification, which is offered by individual markets through a clustering analysis. Uh, for all the markets within MSCI Acqui Index, and it was based on their weekly active return correlations. And we found that despite the de increasing trend towards deglobalization, traditional regional blocks such as the distinct European Union, US, and emerging market clusters, they still exist. There are a few changes that have occurred over the last five years. Some of these are uh, what we found is there has been a stronger alignment of the commodity-driven block within the EM cluster now. Another change is the apparent diversification within the EM Asia manufacturing cluster. 
Our analysis uses equally weighted individual market returns. However, if you would have used market cap weighted lens, much of the diversification within EM Asia manufacturing cluster would simply disappear because of China's increasing weight within the EM index. And therefore, some investors may consider view China as a separate opportunity set, such as the US and Japan. Okay, guys, so the, the framework is out. The paper, Reimagining Country Investing, lays out that framework. What are clients asking? How is it being received, I guess? How do they see themselves putting this framework to use from those conversations you've been having? So clients' reception and interest in this research has been great, and we are collaborating with uh, with few clients already. And as investors navigate various macroeconomic challenges and potential surprises because of the uh, current macroeconomic environment, specialized knowledge and analysis in a specific country can definitely help them to take advantage of tactical growth opportunities while hedging a range of political and macroeconomic risks. And there have been a variety of questions from clients so far. And they range from clients asking about what are some of the growth prospects of some of the major individual markets based on macroeconomic indicators like GDP growth. Questions related to investment opportunity set for some of the specific markets like India and China. Clients also ask about what are the what has been the thematic exposure of individual markets to AI-related themes? Which markets and industries would benefit from rewiring of supply chains? And I think Manish can add some of the questions from the ESG side over here. Thank you, Rohit. So on ESG, in our discussions with clients, recent as well as previous ones, uh, we observed their interest in knowing more about the status of different companies and markets on various ESG parameters, be it social, governance, environmental or climate factors. For many investors, it could be informative to know that even within a given region, there could be a wide dispersion on ESG issues among markets. Secondly, many investors also wanted to know how different markets are positioned against ESG macro trends, which markets are leaders and which are laggards. So in this report, we use low carbon transition as an example to explain how sustainable finance and climate issues may lead to the creation of new winners and losers. So if I'm hearing what you guys are saying correctly, it kind of sounds like the work has just begun with getting this paper out there. So this paper was would, uh, serve as an anchor for all the high-level conversations. And much of the future efforts would actually be doing a deeper dive on single countries. Well, as those come out, we would love to have you guys back on to talk about what you found. Thank you both very much for a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. That's all for this week. Joe and I would like to thank Rohit and Manish and, of course, all of you for listening. You can find the full paper, Reimagining Country Investing, by visiting msci.com. Next up on the program, we look at the trends that real estate investors are contending with as 2024 marches on. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.